0: All right, so episode 14 of Bro Research Radio, Ryan and I today, we are going to jam on training frequency, and with that comes a lot of other things that we're going to have to talk about, training volume, training intensity, uh, probably sleep, uh, nutrition, all these other factors that go into recovery. And it seems to be in the industry right now that training frequency more frequently is becoming more and more popular, and this idea of, of training even full body six days a week is, is, is gaining some traction. Even though we don't have a ton of research on this, a lot of this comes from you know fairly successful people and people that I respect as well do, uh, are doing this. And and you and I have both tried you know full body programs five to six days a week. And I think that you they they can work well for people that are crazy. Um, and by that I mean if you're training to failure all the time, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble real fast especially I think with the lower body lifts and I think that's that's what we're going to talk about uh today with these studies um I think Ryan you've probably done a little bit more of that than I have even so you want to comment on just kind of anecdotally what you
1: felt Mm -hmm. yeah over the last few years that has been more of the base of my training program than anything else really and that was a adjustment that I I made in a stepwise progression not an intelligent way I just kind of happened upon it Uh, wasn't something I really planned on doing, but it just kind of happened that way where I started as a, you know, typical bro doing five, you know, doing an arm day and a leg day or not a leg day, a quad day and a hamstring, you know, and separating things. And that worked well for a little while and that stopped working after a while. So I continued to do it for a while after that. And then finally I found upper lower and splitting things up between upper body and lower body. So getting a little bit more frequency started to get more results with that. And that eventually stopped working. So again, I continued to do that for a while, bashing my head into the wall. And then finally found like full body and, and started to eke out a little bit more from that. Now, there's a lot of things going on within that. You know, it's, you can't just look at it as well, you increase your frequency. So therefore you uh, got better. And it's not just that, like there's a lot of things that we'll get into uh, that go along with that. But for me, as far as just the full body stuff, um, I found it a nice way to be able to distribute volume throughout the week without having any one or uh, two days being particularly taxing. It's just uh, a nice way of kind of uh, spreading out that that stress, which I think can be really helpful. The main w- way that I see it being helpful is uh, during something like contest preparation, when you're uh, dropping your caloric intake down, and you're not really trying to go after gaining more muscle. You're just trying to maintain it. And I just think that, um, you know, during a caloric deficit, you don't really have as much staying power within the workout. So you can only handle one or two big exercises before things just go to shit. Um, That was kind of my thought process going into my last season um, and, you know, continuing to use that throughout the season. But I don't know that it's uh, in itself is really particularly helpful unless you're uh, assessing all other things that we'll talk about
0: yeah the the big bonus for me with training frequency t and this this plays out in the research pretty consistently is this idea of uh reduced perceived exertion mm-hmm. and so like if, if you spread this stuff out more instead of like and there also seems to be this if you look at the theoretical muscle protein synthesis response and muscle protein breakdown response there seems to be this law of diminishing returns in terms of sets per session mm-hmm. so in theory, like the meta analysis that we have are not, that. this is kind of the, when we get into the research on this stuff, this is where we really have to look at advanced. This is in this particular vein of research, we really, really have to look at who are the, what is the research in advanced trainees and what is the research in novice or even intermediate, intermediate tra- in trainees, because we wouldn't expect this increased training frequency to matter for them. Given that their muscle protein synthesis is going to be on for so long, we're talking like they may need to train once a week and they'll be fine. They're not going to have it. in terms. Of, so training volumes can be low and training frequency can be low, and they're still going to adapt. I think the only reason that you would take training frequency and training volumes up on them is from an adherence standpoint, from a behavioral psychology standpoint, just to get them in the gym, just to create that, you mm-hmm. know, that that cue That's response
1: me. reward skill acquisition. I could see all. Yeah.
0: there's so much stuff that you can do in the gym other than those taxing sessions and that's kind of freeing if you like because if you're a personal trainer that's freeing because you can you can work on all this other stuff and maybe you have two maybe you get like you know eight quality sets a week but you only get those in two sessions. And then that other session, you can kind of just work on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you a lot more freedom. Now, when you get it, it then you get into the advanced trainees and, and there's some wild studies. Like my favorite study is this, is this one that came, just came out actually by, out of the University of Tampa. And they had, they, this was the most advanced trainee population that I've ever seen. They had 11 ma- males who benched, who 10 RM'd 106 kilos. So that's like
1: yeah that, that that's
0: fuck average. that's strong like that's like 235 I don't know if they were pausing the yeah that was the average and like one of those dudes was like ten rep maxing 150 kilos so that the these problem. I mean that's that's you don't necessarily see that and those just to give you some context so those those guys they they did this in, they did 10 sets of bench and incline to failure and and then they did it 48 hours later and their perceived exertion was significantly less on that second session, which is, which is wild. They're like, no, nah, that, that's easy. Now um, I did that. Before. <laughs> I did that before. I could just see him talking to me.
1: Oh man. I, I, I wish I was there. I would have loved to be an assistant during that, uh, that study. Uh, was...
0: I would have, uh, I would have loved to have been in this study. Like yeah. it was
1: like,
0: like they had, they had the forced reps, like the bad trainer reps. They yeah. they were yeah. testing everything. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a really cool paper to read. And, um, and, and, the, and the amount of volumes that, so their volume stayed the same 48 hours later. So these guys were, if you're thinking about just, just nailing the hammer, like just, just hammered down the nail, like that's what these guys were doing. Like they probably could have just done this serious, serious, serially. And, um, and so that's kind of what we see in, in the research is even with on, on, especially on the upper body, it seems like when, the upper bodies to me just is a lot more conducive to training to failure than the lower body, um, from a systemic fatigue, just doing this stuff. And that's, that's a little bit anecdotal. Um, but then we compare and contrast that to the Moran Navarro study, uh, uh, 2017 out of Finland. And that one is the failure or not to failure study. And, and so you have this, I love looking at these two studies together because you have this, you have this kind of this anti-fragile study design where they're like out of out of this Wallace study where they're like I'm just going to throw all kinds of volume at you, and, and they did well. And then you look at this Moran Navarro study, and then you read it, and it really does have this negative connotation. Like right away, you can you can tell the context of these authors. Like they don't they don't want the they want the failure protocol to do poorly. That's yeah. um, that's that, that's kind of what they're after. You can read it. Um, And so they, this is, I'm just going to read this to you guys because this made this, I almost went bonkers on this. Uh, So they had 10 highly resistance trained men who volunteered uh, to participate in the study. They were 21.5 years old, uh, plus or minus four. So that means some of them were 17. Uh, And they had, somehow they had 8.2 years of resistance training experience. So they were starting training when they were 11. And so this is what I want Dude, this is what I want people to read. And so they've been training for eight years and their one rep max bench press is 90 kilos. That means they're one like that's pretty terrible. Uh well they might
1: have not even gone through puberty yet. I mean that's not fair. I didn't go through puberty until I was twenty-eight.
0: That's true. That's your own doing. <laughs> <laughs> so but their one rep squat max was 105 kilos. So but they said really hot ten highly resistance trained men. Like if your one rep max back squat is two hundred and thirty pounds, like you are not highly trained. And then you look at you look at what happened with this protocol and they did three sets of ten to failure versus like then they did six sets of five. So it was it was kind of volume equated at a five R I R and they weren't recovered in seventy-two hours. And so this is kind of like, oh, don't train to failure; you're, it's gonna take. But even then, they they got back to normal in, in 72 hours, and their bench did a little bit better than the squats. But my big, my big qualm with this study is, I want to see their lifting data. So yeah. if these guys are doing three sets to failure on squats, like I don't believe it. Like I, if your one rep max is 106 kilos or 230 ish pounds, I don't think that you can really squat to failure yet. Yeah,
1: that like, was I, that was likely the first time that they really squatted to failure if they did within that study
0: i mean i bet you they racked the bar at like 0.35 uh, yeah like that we, wasn't
1: really they didn't really talk about that so much like what was the criteria for failure i don't think that it was like actual failure was it volitional failure I'm not sure that they mentioned it i didn't see it in there
0: i didn't see it either my guess is
1: people just quit like these you can't just like well, yell it at- the thing is too is like when we're looking at that stuff um like so so just so i have my terms right because i you know i have a um one half of an associate's degree at community college um a volitional failure would mean that we're they quit they're deciding not to lift and then actual actual failure would mean that they failed on the lift right yes those things in my mind are not very much different for someone who's not very tough like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if anything like the guy who like true actual failure like That kind of means you wussed out even more. Like you didn't even finish the rep. Like you had somebody else finish it for you. You're like, so. Well, it's
0: kind of it's. I what I imagine it as is. I I imagine they had they had like coaches watching them, and then like these guys failed to squat, and he's like, no, I'm done, and then the other two just like take it up. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's basically like my my previous. Because they were
0: doing 10-rep maxes. They were doing 10-rep maxes, so their 10-rep max had to be, like, 165. Like, somebody like, <laughs>
1: study somebody in that study could definitely high row their, their back squat off of them. Like, oh, for sure. Oh, so they were,
0: they were probably just, like, take this, take this. <laughs> please,
1: please. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, in, in my mind, like, it's those are things that you have to consider. Like, when we look at that, I mean, it, particularly if they've been training for eight years and that's what their one-rep – max is like they 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 probably haven't experienced a whole lot of hard training uh, like and that's something that you have to consider whether they're they're going to volitional failure or, or actual failure or whatever it is like yeah they probably have that was probably the first time that they really trained very hard and if they even did within that If they even did because it's yeah. really hard to it seems that they did you know because they were they were pretty sore after the workout and and they were accustomed to these exercises these, these were not novel exercises for them so we would assume that they did train fairly hard, you know, within that study at least. But that could have been the first time that they've really done that. And, yeah, that's going to result in a lot more soreness, uh, much more blinded in performance than if you've never been exposed to that before. Whereas if you're in this, this dream team study of, of meatheads and, and uh, what was it, the uh, the Wallace study? I mean, <laughs> those guys have done this shit before. Like, they're like, duh, where can I do the force reps <laughs> one? Uh, like, like they, like I'm going to do my 8 and then have John pick it up for me. Like, <laughs> those guys have been exposed to this shit before, like clearly. Uh, and that's, that's huge. That's a, that makes it a big difference. Like then they almost – I mean, at least from an RPE standpoint, they got better. The, you know, what was it, 48 hours after the initial test? Yeah, yeah I mean, they, That's not very long. <laughs> like, yeah. For 10 sets of – I mean, how many people do 10 sets of pressing within one workout? Like Bench with,
0: and incline. Just I mean, like bench – that's a lot of work
1: one of the one of the protocols was a superset
0: of you do a 10 rep max bench to failure and then immediately go to an incline
1: that's like the kind of shit that i want to do like but i just i'm afraid that someone's going to see me doing it so like if i could have someone telling me to do it for a research study i would sign up for that shit twice
0: That superset group was the only, that's the only thing they couldn't recommend. They had, they had rest, pause stuff. They had pre-fatigue, but the superset one where they did that, I think that's something like we also have to take into account too, is like if you're doing a ton of metabolic work and that's the limiter, um, especially like total body, you could probably do those sessions successively because you're not, that's just more, especially if your cardiovascular system and your ability to buffer and get rid of that stuff. So I think those types of sessions you probably do more often, just because you're not going to accumulate as much volume as if you, you know, took four minutes rest between each set.
1: Which could um, be beneficial to do a phase of training like that too. So you know, maybe that is one way that you break it up. Like, all right, I'm doing this block that is intentionally focused on that type of adaptation uh, to hopefully carry over to more of a mechanical tension focus. Where maybe you would do less frequently.
0: Yeah, it's a deload for your joints, and I think I think it's I, incredibly
1: I, beneficial. I do it often. Yeah, I mean, not all the time. And it, yeah,
0: and it's low. Like I, I, think the big thing that we see with those those blocks is if you do them a couple times a year, then all of a sudden, you know, your classic bodybuilding type training or even train or even powerlifting type training, like the RPE of that just goes down so cool. significantly mm-hmm. um, from a psychological standpoint, and and so the the. The synopsis kind of from the research in, in trained athletes is that from what we know, even especially in the upper body, you can probably, from a lot of sets, you can get back to baseline at 48 hours. And this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of individual variability here. Um, but a, a lot of this research is taken to failure. And so one, one thing that we don't have, and, and that's kind of, kind of the question that we're going to ask in December, is if you stop people especially on the big boy lifts. And so if we have a cutoff with trained people, so for that'll be 0.2 meters per second on the bench. And so if that means that we are going to probably get at a nine or one IRR. And so we're going to stop people. We're going to do. So if you only did two sets of bench with two sets of flies, can you recover from that in 24 hours um, for all your muscle groups? So full, that's kind of the, the study design for December is – Four sets of every muscle group, and then chronically, we're going to do it for four days in a row. And we're going to look at these. We're going to look at average concentric velocity. We're going to look at we're going to look at swelling. We're going to look at DOMS. We're going to look at perceived recovery. Uh, maybe even some blood markers if we can get the if we can get the dollars and just see what happens across the training week. My hypothesis would be that we may even see things go up. Um, and and I don't know, but that's kind of I think if you have an advanced population, I think that you're going to either I think you're going to maintain rep counts. It'll be interesting to see what happens with average concentric velocity across training days. Um, but that's just something that we don't have a lot of data in. We have all this stuff in training to failure, but we don't have it. Like what happens when you go to an eight or a nine? Can you just run that shit on repeat? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, anecdotally, at least acutely, there's a big difference. And I'm, I'm sure this is not even anecdotal. I mean, we see this even within uh, that Wallace study where they, they were adjusting the loads based off of how close they were to, like they said, they were looking for a 10 RM for every set essentially. And they would adjust the loads based off the previous set uh, to try to shoot for that. So we do see that, like if you go to failure acutely, you're going to have drop off. So you're going to have to decrease the load. Now the question is from a hypertrophy step, I think from a strength standpoint, in my mind, the nail is kind of in the coffin with that. Like, I don't think that that's helpful for strength. If you if your primary goal is like, power or strength i i don't think you want to do that very often what do you think about
0: i don't know like from a powerlifting standpoint the if you can dis the you're gonna get in trouble i think every time you take volume and frequency up on on the main lifts i think that that's that's the big thing is like powerlifters tend to get in trouble because they only do three things yeah um where whereas maybe not they have accessory moves that they do but you those are that's your sport like you have to do those three lifts body in the bodybuilding world the it seems like it could be a lot more useful just because you have so much exercise variation that you can play with Mm -hmm. and so you could you can do your main Mm -hmm. lifts and then so how i see it in my head is you have these i don't know how many times you first kind of have to set up how many times they're going to do, if they even want to do the main lifts. Because I think if you want to train so frequently, like six times a week, like maybe you only do the main lifts once a week, and then you're picking up that other volume from a lot of accessories, from low systemic fatigue type stuff. And so that that's where I, so maybe day one you bench, day two you chest fly, day three you incline, day four, I think you're going to use probably a lot more cables um, and for the upper, for the lower body, you know, you squ- that's where it gets, that get, that's where it gets kind of like more artsy is how are you going to, how are you going to do this stuff? Cause I think if you, the study design that we have is, is benching and squatting and, and Romanian deadlifting every day. But I think if you did that for four to five weeks, I think you're going to be pretty smoked.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it, it did, I think it really depends on, on how hard you're taking those sets you know, like what proximity to failure are you? Because like, if you're doing stuff to a five RIR, I think you can do that every day. And I think that's what a lot of these powerlifters do—that are on high-frequency programs, at least during like an accumulation phase for uh, bef- before an intensity phase—is they're they're doing pretty high frequency. A lot of them are low bar squatting, you know, four to five times a week. Um, but the RIR is just so low. And I think that that's better in a lot of ways. Like I think that if we're we want to maintain the technique and the skill of the lift, especially for something like that. And we want to maintain some degree of velocity and, and kind of save those lower velocity lifts for competition really, or maybe the the few weeks prior to just for some exposure to it. It just seems that like, you know, anecdotally, I've, I've seen that the people that just love to grind on shit just never get stronger. Like at some, like when they're always, always grinding, like you see that guy that's doing, like asking random people at the gym for a spot every fucking week with the same weight on the bar and they get the same number of reps. And it's always like, man, like I think I got to change my pre-workout drink or something. It's like, dude, like just chill out. (laughs) Like, you know, accumulate some quality work here. You know, so in my mind, like I think it does, it does have a lot to do with just that proximity to failure, like the, how much your technique is breaking down. And I, I think that, You know, I I would love to see what that looks like. The difference between, like, with actual trained people that actually know what failure is and that will train hard. um, Yeah, like, could they repeat that over time? Could they do something like the protocol you're talking about, like, consecutively for weeks on end? I, I think what you would need to do is just throw in some other shit in there just to make sure that there aren't those overuse injuries of just doing three movements all the time. But I think if you stay far enough from failure, like you probably could for a while.
0: Yeah, the eight, the the nine's gonna be, I think, pretty tough on the lower body. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I think if you put it to an eight or a seven, um, then then you're then you really are co- chopping sets. When you, if you're a trained lifter, you probably don't want to chop them, uh, and that's that's from like a from like an athlete perspective, I think the research is pretty clear that you probably don't want to go into those zones. Like you probably want to stay at a six RPE or a
1: four IRR. Fast, so you don't want to see a huge velocity drop-offs.
0: Yeah. that VBT study, I think it's a block. I think it's Blanco where they, so like that got really a lot of traction that you don't want to train like a 20% velocity drop-off had all the performance gains. And whereas the 40% velocity drop-off, they, they got worse. Uh, but they got hypertrophy, and I think that that's kind of the that's the play we're making here. Is like you got to have that's where hypertrophy you got to have that effort. Um, but does does a set at a five? Where did, how does that count compared to a nine? Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I think standardizing it. That's what we're that's what we're trying to do with the velocity based training that is is keep it standard so if you do three sets of bench and you re- legit stop it at your first rep under 0.2 which is essentially going to be a nine or an eight for most people what is that what does that look like like what is your reps on the and i think that's a good way if you have access to that that's a good way to track these things um because otherwise if because if your rps if your rps all over the place then you don't really know like that's like yeah if you if you're doing sets of ten, like your first set might be a five and your last set might be a nine, so I don't necessarily know how you standardize and count that um, across. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of we've talked about how long it takes. So highly trained subjects probably can recover even from from some pretty gnarly stuff in 48 hours, um, and then we and then we really get into the question of. Do you need to fully recover?
1: Yeah, and that was kind of the next thing I was going to ask you is like, you know, how are we even defining recovery? You know, what does that mean? Because if we look at like this, the uh, study that you sent me, this is uh, the twenty. I think this is the, the newer one. Hold on, here. the bachelor study. Um, yeah, of Murdered. course. I, I didn't write down the. Uh, Am I reading that guy? No, this is actually the two, the two thousand study. Um, oh, that study's dope. Yeah, yeah. So and, and I didn't write down what? the author. Uh, well, who is it? Out uh, of Norway, the
0: Rastad
1: yeah. study. Yeah, yeah, the Rastad study. Okay, so um, that was yeah, wow. If we look at that, it's like you know a lot of the markers that they were using mechanically for recovery were recovered within 40, uh, 24 33, hours,
0: thirty-three hours, 33 hours,
1: dude, hours right? So, but they they're they subjective unless we're looking at two. I think actually we we might be looking at two different studies here. But I know one of them was they were mechanically recovered in terms of like being able to produce peak torque uh and, and the other oh, they used yeah, yeah 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 yeah. but they were subjectively not recovered they were still very that was recovered. a Marshall
0: study yeah that was that yep
1: and the thing that they were, was missing in that study is that they didn't have any like i don't think they had any real performance um they didn't have any vbt type yeah, stuff and that. that would have been really cool to see because that's always my question is like all right well i'm sore should, i shouldn't train i'm like well i don't know i'm not i'm not really sure what that indicates because sometimes i think that there's been plenty of times that I've gone into the gym that I feel kind of sore, and sometimes things just feel better. Like you're just like, you're faster. And so I've never measured, like, well, I have. I mean, I guess I've measured the velocity um on those days, and it's fine. You're right. So, w- what do we use as a measure for recovery? What's appropriate if we're talking about hypertrophy?
0: Yeah. If we look at like what is used in the research, it's, it's, Muscle damage seems maybe you can get rid of that even quicker, um, but they're they're looking at joint range of motion, they're looking at uh, perceived recovery. But I, the average concentric velocity is is pretty telling to me. That's that's one thing that I that I do like. Um, is if if you're within you know five percent of that, maybe even less, um, you're probably pretty recovered. And, and so that's that's what uh, this the. The study that we're kind of replicating, I guess, uh, the Belcher study out of t- that 2019 study where they did four sets uh, to failure at 80. percent These guys were pretty trained. Uh, their squat was like 350. They, it's it's pretty evident in the in the literature that like upper bodies are more trained. So I think we we consistently see that upper bodies recover faster than lower bodies, and I think that that's it might just be a component of the systemic fatigue there's just not as much, um, but it, it might also be the training very, like just these guys' upper bodies are more trained. Um, Cause a benching 280 versus squatting 350, I, I would give, I would give that a big win to the bench. Um, and so those, these guys, they looked at, this is, um, this is, I think it's a study out of Florida Atlantic. And so that was a, that was a really solid protocol and, and a big thanks to, to those heavily trained individuals as they, that was kind of tough. I would, I would have had a tough time doing that study because they gave up a month of their lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They did because they did, they did essentially one rep max testing on week one. And then they did these four sets of failure on each lift once one lift a week for the next three weeks. So they essentially gave up. That would be, that would be a really tough study for me to do. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be chomping at the bit.
1: Yeah, I think they let it – so they did it twice each week, right? So they had a squat, four sets of 10 on – Oh, they only did me. it once, man. They only did it once. I thought they repeated it uh, 96 hours later. Or no, maybe they just did measurements. That was the last measurement, 96 hours later. Yeah, they yes. let they let them do some, like, some light training and the other two lifts on, on that last day. I probably just to yeah. keep them from going completely. Probably to keep, them,
0: keep them from <laughs> crazy. Like, yeah. they
1: did those light exercise sessions. Yeah, I thought that was funny, but, but it's it, probably also a good thing from a repeated bout effect, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, for sure, and to just, like, practice the movements.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, you could – like, the, the squat, the deadlift, and the bench on this one, like, the swelling, that's that's also pretty t- – pretty interesting there's a lot of interesting stuff in this study because they there's actually some interesting stuff in the if we pull up the navarro study too um just not even related to training frequency but like the amount of swelling that they got in their upper body compared to their lower body was significant more um which kind of which is what we would expect with these with these big boy lower body lifts i just don't i don't think you get the same muscular response
1: would you think it'd be different with the leg press
0: I think it would. I think it would be a lot different. I, I just don't know that they're able to go to volitional failure four times in a row. I think like, even on like breaths, man, like I get some, if we really go, if we really go to like yelling at each other in the air and we really go to the, like a death, death rep, like I've, you've seen it, like I've gone, I'm doing a 20 rep max and then the next set is at 11. Like it's, yeah. and I'm, I'm doing the same. I'm, the concentric velocity on that next set is so I just think the cost of going to failure here is real high um and so the and then the the squat everything came back in 96 hours on these guys um for these are the two so self-swelling average concentric velocity uh, but a big dip in in the bench press and then bench press came back um across linearly and so this was a, this is a cool study design and they kind of had the, the broad stroke answer of, of 48 hours. Um, but again, four sets to failure on, on bench squat and deadlift is, is, I don't think that, I don't think we're necessarily going to train like that very regularly, yeah,
1: especially, yeah.
0: especially on those lower body lifts. Mm. Um, let me pull up that, that Navarro study. That Navarro study's got, that, that Navarro study was pretty expensive. Um, they had they had
1: some. They measured everything.
0: Yeah, they had. I think th- this one's. Uh, it's cool to talk about because of how much stuff they measured, and they're not very trained. Um, let me pull that up. Yeah, here it is. So they used MPV, not they. So if you if you played with velocity stuff, they used mean. Uh, I, yeah, MPV is a little bit different than ACV. Um, maybe not. Maybe those are the same terms. Yeah, if they're using the concentric phase, they're just using a different wording. Um, and so their their velocity was back on, on the bench press. Not so the three sets of ten was significantly more damaging than these other protocols. Um I'll share this out. But the the thing that got me was this dude, they had all these serum markers. Yeah. And so they had and and this is something, just because they have these markers, I think it's really, really cool. But you look at the AM-PM variations in testosterone, mm-hmm. like, th- these are nanomoles per liter. So that, like, 10 is, like, 300? Uh, it's it's borderline, like, low. And then they're popping up to, like, 750 in the morning. So that's a huge window of testosterone, like, based on time of the day. And that's kind of what we see from a circadian rhythm standpoint. Um and then also you got the serum cortisol that's going to have a big AM to PM shift, so you can see it like AMs to PMs on these guys. But even their even their creatine kinase, like these muscle damage markers, seem to come down by seventy two hours. And then if you look at the Belcher study where they're a little bit more trained, they I think their I think their um, muscle damage markers were down with pretty fast. Um, let's look. Yeah, their LDH markers were back to baseline at 48. CK mm-hmm. was ba- CK was back to baseline at 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that kind of – these guys were only doing one thing, though. They weren't doing – the Moran study was squatting and be, uh, benching. So that's something to take into context. Um, but I don't know that – that's a big thing from a muscle damage standpoint. We're never chasing muscle damage anyways.
1: So – I think with people a lot of people use it as like an, uh, using doms as an indirect measure of, of whether or not they're recovered and, and whether or not another bout of stimulus is going to be beneficial for them and i'm not really sure like I, I i don't really know how to and just i mean i don't think that you or i i mean i know i don't and i'm pretty sure you don't we, we don't take the day off just because we're sore um and it seems to work just fine uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much – I think there's more that goes into soreness than we're probably aware of um, because it does seem like there's some uh, – like a very easy stimulus of something that's novel can make you very sore. Um, you know, so what does that indicate?
0: That's one of the – one of that big things that people advocate to with high frequency training is you are kind of getting this active recovery too. Like if mm-hmm. you do, if you do consecutive sets at a seven RPE or an eight RPE, you are moving blood around. Yeah. Um, and so that can, that can be really, really helpful. It, where I go with that is, is most people that I know who have, who are very, very trained, we're not switching exercises all the time and we rarely get sore.
1: Yeah, like, i don't know I, I, I mean i i still do um but it, it's it's usually for a reason it's not like it's usually not a week one it's usually it like, is,
0: it, but it's not like you it's not like the soreness that i think a lot of like people are after when they first go to the gym it's not like you can't fucking sit down on the toilet it's like it's like oh mm, i feel something
1: yeah, yeah 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 yeah.
0: and that's a lot different than to me like i can't move
1: yeah 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 yeah. yeah i don't think of that like I think most people would agree that that's probably not helpful because that's just going to decrease the amount of quality work you can do the rest of the week. So I, I don't, I definitely don't think we should be chasing that. I think that's kind of, uh, most people would agree on that at this point. The, yeah, the, the big, the big thing for me is like, you know, there seems to be like from a protein synthesis response, like there seems to be a, um, attenuation of that over time right so and this kind of goes back to the original question is is you know like when do we start to use this this higher frequency stuff um and i think there is an appropriate time if we we look at something like mps responses so do you want to talk a little bit about like how that changes over a training career
0: yeah in the beginning it's you're going to have muscle protein synthesis response, which is going to last maybe up to seven days. Whereas as you get more and more advanced, it could get down to, you know, 24, 36 hours. So if we think about this analogy of like, you're just trying to bang the nail down, uh, you want to hit the nail as many times as possible in a productive manner. And so I I think by, and and the, the literature that we do have says that training twice a week performs better than once a week um and training three times a week we don't have enough data yet to say that it's better than twice a week but i think that um and that's just like these broad meta-analysis that that pool a lot of studies i I think that that's when you but a lot of that data is not in highly trained that's where we need more data is in highly trained people because that's where the that's where the hypothesis really holds weight yeah is that is that if you're trying, if you're if you're gonna, you're not. You have this repeated bout effects, so or you're not really getting sore anymore. Muscle damage really isn't in play. You're just chasing muscle tension. Um, and can you can you really just whack at that more times? Um, and so that that's the that's a the theoretical hypothesis. There, we just don't have a ton of data, and it makes mechanistically it makes a lot of sense um, from 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 that side but also in the side that of you're going to get more quality work
1: yeah and i think that seems like from what i've read in a lot of that stuff and i i I haven't read all the, the studies but it seems that a lot of them equate the volume so they're trying to compare once a week to two times a week to maybe three times a week but they're equating the volume and that for me is not where high frequency is beneficial no i don't think there's going to be with volume equated nothing special is going to happen the cool thing about like you said is we were able to now distribute quality volume throughout the week. So instead of having to, to crush 10 sets on two days, uh, where by that ninth, 10th set you're, you know, it's, it's just garbage. Uh, now we can distribute that over three days.
0: Like, yeah. A lot of those, those studies that went viral that were like, they compared five sets to 10 sets to 15 sets to 20 sets. And then their training frequencies was once a week. <laughs> and on and, and untrained people like yeah no shit why would they
1: get any better from that yeah, yeah
0: why would why would 20 sets perform better than 10 sets when they're only training once a week but maybe 20 sets would have performed better than 10 sets if you dissipated that training load my guess is not in that population but in other populations my guess would be yes if you dissipated you know 20 sets over 20 sets a lot especially if you're doing but 20 sets wouldn't be that much so I, like maybe we get into the mathematical of like, how do you get there? Um, so, so say you have, say we have, everybody has these rough numbers. Like if you think about like 10 to 20, 10 to 30, yeah, yeah, yeah. So say you have to get 10 sets on your quads in a week. You could, if you were going to only do squats, you could do two sets five days a week, or you could do 10 sets on one day, which just, just, so thinking about it, like you're probably going to accumulate a lot more reps on train, doing that five days a week, even just
1: squatting. Yep, yep. Now I think my – so where I struggle with this is I think from a strength standpoint, I would go with the latter every day. I would go with that uh, – the lower volume within the session and spread out that frequency. I think like skill acquisition is going to be better. I think that the quality of those reps are, are going to be better um you know that's you could argue that for sure but it just i i would i would agree with that for, for strength now for hypertrophy the question becomes is that two set like i still think at the end of the week we're going to accumulate more volume but is that two sets enough of a disruption enough of a stimulus to actually get the adaptation that we're looking for or does it matter i mean like is it because I, it's I, it makes you think of the conversation that we had with Ethan, where it's like, dude, it's not about today. Like, it's about this this overall uh, training cycle or this training year. And if that's the case, if that's how we're looking at it, then I think it makes sense to spread out that volume as much as possible and just accumulate as much quality as possible. But there is this question of like, hey, is that even enough stimulus to really do anything? Am like, I even going to notice that? So I, I mean, what what do you think? On that. The
0: the big thing for me would be the from a mechanistic standpoint, like are you hitting a mu- there? We're always gonna have this this essentially this law of depreciating returns, right? And so where where is that? And I think from muscle protein synthesis response per session, it looks to be like maybe seven to thirteen sets. Mm-hmm. And so how do you get, this is, this is kind of where I'm at right now. So if, if me personally, if I know that like seven sets is going to seven to 10 sets or whatever it is, we don't fucking really know. Um, but if that's going to, that, if that's the law of depreciating returns from a, from a mechanistic standpoint, from a muscle protein synthesis, like, can I hit that every 48 hours? And so that, that's kind of, that's almost where I'm at. But now if you hit half of that every 24 hours, I don't think that that's going to be that different. Um, and it may allow you to, to get more quality volume in. I don't know. So that to me, I don't think it will because, so if I have, say I have seven sets on quads to me, I'm just going to hit three sets of squats or two sets of squats. And then and then I'm going to go leg extensions or I'm going to do three sets of leg press. And then I'm going to go four sets of leg extensions. And then I hit it that hit that seven sets. Um, and so I'm just trying to do that repeatedly every 48 hours. If I'm doing, if I'm doing bench, then I'm doing three sets of bench or three sets of incline bench. And then I'm doing three to four sets of cable flies um, or something or some kind of machine press or something to pick that up. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of where I'm at, but I think that you could do, I think that you could do three to four sets. The, a chronic the same thing and I think you would just doing this stuff I think you would get more reps like if I benched on day one and then I did my flies on day two, I think that I would get more flies um, on on day two. I think for, if you're thinking about just the amount the accumulation of volume um, and mechanical tension, I think that you are always better breaking it up throughout the week and then you really get into what we talked about when I talk about with Ethan all the time is like most of these problems are logistical problems. And, yeah. and, and I don't want to train my whole body every day of the week because I lower body for me personally, I have to get up for those sessions a lot more than upper body. Like I could train and I, I don't think I'm alone in that regard. It's like, I could train upper body every day. And so I got shit to do. And so like those upper body, those lower body sessions, they take, a, they take more out of my day. Um, they take more, they take more mental prep time. And so if I had to train lower body maybe not if I use, I think if I did it right, I wouldn't, wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. Um, and, and I might play with that. I might do some, we might do some five day a week or six day a week full body training. Um, but I, I'd have to use a lot of accessories. Like I, I don't think I could do big boy lifts every five days a week on my lower body and not have that, not have me kind of get to the point where I don't like going to train. I don't know if that makes I don't know if that makes sense.
1: No, I think it does. I think a lot of people would fall into that camp uh, that that's like the the initial reaction you know that was my initial reaction with full body training I'm like dude i gotta squat like every day like i mean i like to squat like i like things that are hard but fuck man like it just takes i care about it so it takes a lot goes into it but i i think that at least the way that i've structured it and uh, that i see a lot of the more intelligent people doing it it seems like there's still like big stimulus days Um, and then some days like you're describing, like, you know, where you are going in, like, all right, you got to do legs, but like, maybe you only have to do three sets of lunges or something, which are hard. They suck, but it's not like, it's not the same as getting under a bar where you're like, man, this thing could crush me. Like I could die. And you know, that's how I feel when I squat. And that's usually what it looks like too. Um, so yeah, I think that if you are structuring it in a particular way, like you can dissipate some of that stress and that mental energy that goes into it. And I think I lost Ben. Is Ben back? Benjamin. Um, I could just go through my monologue for a while. Um, I could just talk about my youth, how I got to where I am today. Mm, Hopefully no one has to listen to that. Hmm, should we do a posing seminar while Ben's gone? Uh, Is this what the people want? And no, no Ben. All right, so we're going to talk about lat spreads today. Now, for those of you who don't know what a lat spread is, you can turn this off. those of you who do want to know what a lat spread is and want to perfect your technique, uh, there's a few key things that you need to know. For one, you need to have lats. Uh, If you don't have lats, then again, you should probably turn off this video. Now, a lot of you are hiding your lats. Some of you, like Ben House, may be trapping your lats out of your lats. And what I mean by that is you're very proficient in the crab pose, uh, but not so much in spreading the lats. So you kind of walk around like this, okay? You're hiding your lats, you don't have any lats, okay? But you got lots of neck. But well, who wants a neck? I'll tell you who wants a neck. Jeff Nipples wants a neck. You know what, Jeff Nipples? Why don't you go ahead and train your neck and I'll be over here getting huge, training my back, or at least looking like I do. So now the key to having big lats is that you just gotta do a lat spread all day long. you actually don't even really need to have lats you just need to look like you do the key to this is you want to optimize the amount of lateral expansion between your left arm and your right arm Uh, see what i mean now if my hands are too close together i have no lats bring my hands apart voila i've got lats okay second key you never want to walk through a door straight on you always want to turn to the side even if you can fit through the door straight on because you may not look like you can't fit through the door oh uh anyway uh ben's back so we'll continue on with what we're discussing and we'll leave that for another day
0: i think if we really look at the literature and then just time in this field for both of us i think if the more advanced you are the faster you're going to recover um, especially if you're not changing your exercises all the time, which you're probably not, um, you're not seeking novelty anymore. You're seeking mastery. And so then I think you've deserved the right to train more frequently and it might, and then it, then it really becomes to me, these are areas where we don't have a ton of research. We don't know. Um, and it really just becomes a, a matter of personal preference and a matter of adherence. And so maybe you, in your life you could do five or six day a week full body training for a good block and then you need to go up or lower or something like that uh and so i i really think that a lot of this stuff comes down to logisticals and then look at it even inside inside your own workouts like if you do if you do bench and then you do an accessory workout for an accessory movement for your chest how much is that reduced and then, and then just play with it like on the next, on that next day, like what happens if you, if you mess with that? And my guess is, is that you'll get a couple less reps. And, and my guess is that those reps, you'll get even less reps on lower body. So that's, that would be, that's kind of a hypothesis that we we need to test. But I think that your lower body is going to have a significant decrement and you just blowing out a ton of sets in a, in a protocol. And I don't think either of us are advocating to go above, you know, 10 sets per training session. Like that's just, that's just going to get pretty wild.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it really depends on what you're doing, like what exercises you're picking, but that's. And your your
0: RPE. like if you're doing 10 sets at a five, like that's, you might not even feel like you lifted. You might not even get a pump.
1: Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, I think that you have to just look at it over a training career, just like anything else. Just like increasing volume, you know that it it may become something that is is kind of necessary just logistically at some point, and it does play well in with volume. I don't think that in itself it's anything special. It's just that it allows you to do more quality work throughout the week. Now, do you do that all of the time? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that maybe if you discover that that you do perform better and that you you know if you take an upper lower pro- program or whatever you're using, and you s- spread that out over four or five days compared to two days for, for each muscle group, and you find that you're able to accumulate more volume that way, um, then acutely that that works better for that particular goal. But I think that the goal would be to, like you wanna get better at doing everything in my mind. You wanna be able to handle more volume weekly, but you also wanna be able to handle more volume within a session too. That's another marker that you're improving. So I, I don't think that we want to be like, oh, well, you know, I have a two reps drop off if I do three sets. So I never want to do three sets within a workout. Like, well, no, you actually should probably figure out how to be able to do three sets without any decrement. So then you work back. Four
0: with- and five. I think, I think like, I think being so. able to do, I think being able to do four and five sets of, of squat and bench just from a just from a training standpoint, I think that's, you should have yeah. cycles that do that.
1: Add, add a, like a, uh, some, you know, figure out where you have to be. Like, maybe for you to get, five sets of five, just because it's popular. Maybe you have to start by doing at, at a five RIR right now with a given load. Um, but then maybe you progress and you're able to do more weight and you're also able to start that first set at a six and then you only finish at an eight RPE. Or, or, uh, I'm using RP and RIR interchangeably here. But um, yeah, you may find that you're able to handle more hard sets within a workout. I think that's a good thing. So I think that you want to f- – just use different phases of training figure out probably what's the the best base for you for for the next year or something and then every now and then maybe you mess around with these these different training frequencies and and just try to go after different different goals
0: and i think we also have to be realistic with with our with ourselves i think a lot of us don't do that and that and you probably have different muscle groups that are different training ages yeah And so you might not need, so I've, I've played with like five days a week, upper body, three days a week, lower body. Like these are things that, that I've played with because my upper body is probably closer to my, I mean, it's probably well past my myogenic potential. Uh, Maybe not, but the, (laughs) my, my, there's just not a lot of runway left. I think I have less runway on my upper body. It's more trained than my lower body, especially because me personally, I haven't done a lot of lower body accessory work ever. Um, and so that, that to me is, and that's where the logistics and personal preference, I think come into play. And if you, so if you really like doing something and you like training often, then maybe this high frequency training is going to work really, really well for you. Um, but if you like uh, some people, it's probably not going to work that well. Like if you love smashing yourself and you love getting gnarly pumps, then you're probably gonna leave the gym like feeling like you didn't do anything like you're yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be like oh man
1: yes yeah, of- that's exactly my experience when i first started doing it and over time i became i just started to just shift the goal and everything uh, but i still like now it's like my base generally is is a full body plan so when i get to do upper lower splits it's like i'm so excited like, I'm, like, I'm going to go, like, I'm not going to be able to walk out of the gym. It's going to be fucking sweet. Like, and I, like, I like having, like, getting a pump, you know, where you can't, like, you know, shampoo your hair. Uh, like, that's pretty sweet. Like, that's fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, that, that gives you just, I think, again, psychologically, just having these different times uh, or different training focuses are, are really good. I think that's really helpful.
0: And you probably work on... Just thinking about it, I never thought about this before, but like if you're working on training frequency, you're probably also working on like movement quality. I think we're always worried about movement quality, but I think even more so you're you're thinking about that stuff there, like how much quality volume can you accumulate? Um, and it makes sense that like that you would put the predominant, like you're a masochist. It makes sense that you would just like do just the tip training um, for the majority of your life. <laughs>
1: yeah I mean i'm gonna not comment on that because I just feel like this is gonna go down a bad road and um great road'm road. a, a hard road potentially um, but yeah i'm gonna just stay away from that completely and uh, i guess <laughs> i'll just start sweating profusely and, and not really add anything more to the conversation Thanks. yeah so
0: if you um if you practice the pullout method. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know i tried <laughs> i'm not even contributing to this <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no no which i do by the way
0: <laughs> if you practice this uh this this folklore way of birth control um do you, we,
1: do you think that in the in the research like when we actually do produce this study that oh man. It as the pullout method full body oh control? wow full just, body just the tip full body I,
0: I wonder if there's a
1: correlation though like I bet you I bet you there there would be. Oh, so the people that can't pull out are are the people that can't do full body splits. So that might be a oh, proxy, dude, a proxy dude. for whether or not you're prepared for high frequency training. Uh, like for instance, if you um got your wife pregnant with an IUD in. Um, then you probably are not going to do well with full body, Benjamin.
0: Yeah, so. no, it's definitely like I'm going to feel cheated. Like I don't want to feel cheated. I use it. <laughs> I use I use the leave it in method.
1: <laughs> Listen, I have I have invested my three minutes to this session, and I want to get exactly. That's what I say to, what
0: I'm saying to my wife too. <laughs> I've invested the three minutes to this session. <laughs> I'm going to get
1: will not leave here until so i get exactly what i'm looking for which is exactly three pumps i want <laughs> this
0: is what you're not looking for
1: <laughs> this is good this one in a good direction but i i think um the the key here is that you need to assess yourself first and then assess your training program and hopefully the two will come together yeah, and
0: there's there's I, honestly going to be different personality styles that
1: yeah at, it is a legitimate thing yeah
0: at, at this point in your career maybe you're not ready for that or like from a community standpoint like you have to get like you're never going to be able like if you're like me and if if I get in those circumstances where you know there are a bunch of people training to failure like I'm going to train like there's no way I'm not gonna I mean I've, I've gotten better and better at that as as I've gotten older but if that's your training group and you guys do train to failure and that's, that's kind of what you value, you know, then, then doing a lot, then being the, being the, being the guy who's going to pull out, uh, that's, that's may not work very well for you, but then you just, all oh, you have to, you have to realize that there's two things that are going to increase the amount of time that you need to recover, training failure and increasing sets. So if you don't do both of those, you may only be able to train your, you may only be able to train, legitimately your one body part, maybe which one, which once is what a
1: lot of these guys do. Yeah. Once or twice a week. And yeah, and, you see a lot of force reps, a lot of drop sets, a lot of, you know, just chaos. Yeah. I mean, th- and that stuff, maybe, maybe every now and then you allow yourself to do that. Just, j- just for, just for fun. I mean, I do that shit every night. Like, so my rule is that like, if I'm traveling, if I'm going to Rochester or I'm going to, uh, to Denver, which I, I do, like, one of those things at least once a year, um, then all all bets are off. Like, my program is the skeleton of my program, and then I'm going to try every fucking machine at that place. I'm not only going to use every machine, but I'm going to do multiple drop sets on every machine. I'm going to superset that with, you know, every other thing I can find. Like, I'll be flipping tires in the fucking parking lot. And I just decided, like, because I just love that stuff. Like, I'll go to the gym for three hours, and I'll just crush legs. And, like, that's just, to me, like, it just makes me really happy, you know? So I think you have to like earn, earn that stuff, you know, and just like be intelligent, but you can also be a moron. Like then that's okay. It's just like, if you're just being a moron all the time, then you're probably, you know, leaving some of those. You're probably gonna get hurt. You're probably get hurt. Like, or you'll probably just do like non-productive training. Cause like a lot of times that just turns into, like you think you're working really hard, but like you're, you're not really like you're, I mean, you're, you're doing 40 pounds on the leg extension by the end of the workout, it's like, dude, like, you're not, you're not doing a whole lot. And we see that too. Like, and you can see that like these, I mean, whether or not EMG is really reliable for that stuff, but I, I think we all kind of know intuitively, like, like it's just not connecting anymore. Like you're, like you're just completely flopping around. Like nothing's really happening. And it's fun to do, but it's like, I don't know, intuitively at some point you kind of know it's not super productive, hopefully.
0: Yeah. So if, if the, the most if we're going to say this, essentially, if we're going to be really, really not attached, the most productive way to train, and this is kind of theoretically, like if you're going to accumulate 20 sets per week, is you would do two, you do four sets um, to an eight or nine, like to an eight RP, five sets a week. And like, imagine that, imagine that practically, like if so, if you're if you're training quads, that could be you know two sets of leg press, two sets of leg extension, or even you might even go to like one set, like just one set of squats, three sets of legs, and like you're just gonna run that on repeat, um, or you could or you could you can kind of variable this out. But if that's your that's your schematic from a hypertrophy hypertrophy standpoint, like even and then what if you brought that to six days per week? Then all of a sudden you're at three to four sets, uh, and then you got guys going to seven. If you go to seven, then you're then you're at legitimately three sets per muscle group. That's like, uh, you know, one set of bench or one set of incline and then two sets of flies and you're out of there. Uh, But just also think about how much time the, the other thing, but the, but it, it, it might not because a lot of the, a lot of your time, essentially you're, you're almost like supersetting things, but you're not supersetting things. You're just moving through exercises so quickly. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like when I do, when I do two sets, my I can get out like so when we do when we do like back off sessions mm-hmm. and we do two sets of of everything dude, do we're out of there in 30 minutes and so I think like if you do full if you if we look at the full body program that that we're going to do in December and we've done a terrible job of highlighting this um we're you're going to do like uh just looking at this we're going to test ACV bench two sets of 10 then they're going to go chest supported rows supersetted with with flies, and then they'll do a superset of curls and tricep extensions. Then they're going to do speed testing with back squats, and then they're going to do two by tens, and then they're going to do two by tens of RDL. And then, and then, and, and you know what? I think one of my big projects is I probably have to do this workout and see how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, is if I, if I, because I'm, if I'm getting three to four minutes on my mains, and then probably with these supersets, probably 90 seconds in between each, um, I would guess i'll be out in an hour, so even with even with a ton of compounds, I think you can get you can get out because you're only doing two sets of stuff, and this is four sets on every muscle group man i yeah. think you're going i think you'll be able to get out so if you're if you're super workman like about it
1: mm-hmm. yeah i it depends like I think that one of the things you hear anecdotally a lot with full body stuff is that they don't people don't feel like that to warm up as much and like they just kind of like they're always kind of ready to go um so yeah that that could potentially be a, a benefit as well if you're someone who feels like they just take a long time to like get going uh that doesn't seem to be the case as much when adapt when you are adapted to to full body type of training
0: and that's that's another that's another thing that we don't have a ton of research on is like exercise order so that's something i'm really really curious about is if we do this if you do this full body training like my my hypothesis would be is if you started with lower body and then went to upper body you're going to be smoke showed
1: yeah it's funny like i i think most people say that and most people think that i kind of feel the opposite just for myself because like i'm just thinking about squats the whole time i'm bench pressing like really? I, I hate doing bench first and i also think just like if we want to get into like biomechanical stuff like i'm i i bench with a pretty significant arch so if I have to go from benching to something axially loading, then I have to like kind of reset that whole thing. And it's a pain in the ass. And I'm um, yeah, not that I'm laying there for 30 minutes doing breathing drills or something, but it's just like, I have to get out of that pattern. Um, and, it, but it, for me, it's more like, I'm, I'm thinking about squatting. Like, cause it, the squat sucks. Like the squat, like I'm going to have to get like very prepared for that. Um, and not so much for the bench press. So I don't know, like it, it's, anytime that That's try- an
0: easy acute research question yeah Is, yeah, like, figure from that my, out, yeah. From like a study design standpoint like you just cross over um you have people see which one they accumulate more reps in
1: yeah
0: um and it's it's a pretty easy study design and i'm i would guess that just like any study you'd have individual variability yeah. like I, I in my mind i almost think like i i don't i could i would just do that upper body session and that would almost be like a a warm up, and I probably wouldn't even. I'd need like two sets of warm up for my squats because I already got a bunch. I already got a bunch of blood moving around. Um, so that that's kind of the way. It'll be interesting to see how how people what people think of it. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be pretty novel for a lot of people. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a an acclimation period of like five weeks before it, so they're not just coming in here and going to four to five days of this straight in a row. I think that's
1: really key. Yeah, because I, I don't think we learn much when there are it's just a completely novice uh, novel stimulus you have to you have to have a run-in period for sure so yeah that's part of the studies we're going to give it's a, it's a four to five week plan i think beforehand that just kind of acclimates you up to to being able to handle that so it's it's no longer novel by the time you get to the the study and then we're going what four days in a row right you want to break that down a little bit Let's Just, uh, you already talked about the exercises and everything but what are we doing so it's a a 10 rep max no
0: we're gonna we're gonna i'm gonna chop it so i think we'll we will go to i guess you would call it volitional failure our population is going to be trained enough where it probably will be probably a a nine or a 10 rp on all the accessories on the bench we're going to cut that at the first rep under Mm 0.2 um and and so they're going to do they're before they bench they're going to do average concentric velocity training they're going to do two reps at whatever they're going to do for whatever they do for 10 um and they're going to do one rep and then another single for max speed um and that's kind of thing that's one of the main markers that we're going to test serially uh and then we're also going to test we're also going to test rep percentage across the sets like so like rep performance and so and and they're going to know that there's no way to essentially blind them to that. They're going to (laughs) know you can't blind them to how many reps they are doing. And and so then, and I'm not, I'm not mad about that carrot being in front of them. Like, yeah, go beat yesterday, go beat yesterday. And so, and we have the velocity. That's one of the big things is, is we want that check system. Because if you don't have that check system and you're not accounting for RPE, then someone might beat their rep performance the next day. But if they didn't go all out on the first day, they can kind of gain the
1: system. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and so the velocity allows you to see that. Nope, first rep after 0.2, you're done. Yeah. Um, and it also, it also, I think it, one of the big things that, that when I coach people is you set up those last reps to me with your first reps. So if you're not taking those first reps seriously and you're not moving them with the max amount of speed, you're going to hit grind you're going to hit grind city faster. Um so make those first reps easier and I think that's one of the the big things that the that seeing the velocity especially on those big uh, especially on the big lifts will do. And then you'll go then you'll go into the supersets of your of your um of your support of your accessory work and then you'll come back and then you'll do the same thing on back squat or front squat we're gonna let people pick or safety bar squat they can squat however they want the research is pretty clear that like that doesn't necessarily matter um, so whatever they whatever they've been doing they can pick the squat that they've been doing and that's whatever squat they'll do um, then we'll do RDL I haven't decided RDL I don't know the deadlift doesn't have as much research as far as like velocity stuff and um, and I don't w- want people grinding deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it'll, I ha, I'm kind of undecided of what we probably will do it just to collect the data. Um, I was, but
1: I think it might make sense just to do like an elevated conventional deadlift. So they're not because that's usually when things go wrong. So it's almost like we get we have very consistent depth every time. like We know we're hitting the bumper plates. We're stopping on the bumper plates. And then it's it's really just the hinge. It's like no, because that's really where things go wrong. Everybody can pull from ele- uh, you know, some type of elevation it's when they get lower. That
0: that's get- what I've thought about too. Is like how do you like some people like how do you standardize the RDL? And I think you do standardize it like with with a plate. Yeah, um yeah. And so that ma- that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, we can we can get we can it. I just don't know where you'd put the stop point on that. Like because you can grind deadlifts, you can grind multiples under point two. Um, but your deadlift is is one of your most trained lifts for sure um, and so I, it'll be interesting just having a generic cutoff like if i did that to you you would feel extremely cheated like that might be that might be an rir 5 for you whereas if someone who's not very trained they took a essentially a rack pull to a point 2 they might like they might be smoke show
1: mm-hmm. i mean because of the uh, the people that are going to be in this study we we might actually be able to rely on on just subjective rir
0: the research is pretty clear like yeah if you're trained you can you can kind of you can kind of know
1: yeah take it to an eight and we'll record the velocity and just see what what comes up
0: yeah probably just keep it consistent yeah. um just keep your own stop point consistent and then we'll take leg extension leg curls to to failure and then we we will do the calf raises
1: um, got a lot of cap raises to make up. Yeah, you know, it's gonna. Dude, be I've been,
0: I've been, I've been hitting seven calves. sets, seven sets, all right, okay, seven sets three times a week. I'm starting to get the calves by Evan. Damn,
1: calves by Evan. They're check coming out, in. Check him out on Instagram at calves by Evan.
0: He hasn't changed his. He hasn't changed his handle yet. It's, it's just. Uh, it's still Echo patient.
1: Um, it doesn't. I mean, how do people even know that's about calves? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. He
0: hasn't. He hasn't done a good job of it's about um, as really.
1: bad as a cure Fit.
0: It's not as bad as the cure fit, but
1: it is uh, it's, yeah, it's not, but it's pretty bad.
0: Now that you're studying now that you're studying Spanish, it makes a lot more sense. La cure,
1: yeah. Yeah. Except for I I made the cure feminine, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense. La Cure A, maybe. But then it's just I don't know. I'm probably just gonna change my last name. To La Cure? Uh, Smith or something. I don't know. I look more No, like
0: Smith, no you should definitely change it to L A Q. L A Q U R E. <laughs>
1: so it's not even the same as the instagram handle it's just it's just closer <laughs> uh, i think that i think that makes a lot of sense yeah oh, um yeah that's no, some of the frenchies revolution um so now that's day one right of the the study so they come back and they do that again right the day.
0: they do that like clockwork they're doing that then they, they wake up in the morning. Uh, we measure cell swelling every day, or we measure muscle swelling every day, which is going to be kind of cool. I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, can you maintain a pump? Like, what happens to the pumps? Um, it will, maybe we'll do arm circumference after. That will get people excited, like flexed arm circumference after, flex arm circumference before, flex quad circumference, because um, those are a little bit easier to do than the, the, the ultrasound. But we'll, we'll have the
1: ultrasound. We're to lat width? Black, black. Well,
0: I think that I think we do all of them. Yeah, uh, sure. I think I think I think we pull out the tape measure every session, yeah. record as much data as possible.